Well, let me go ahead and give you the title of today's message. In case you couldn't figure it out, it's going to be called The Best of You. And uh, the Foo Fighters kind of summed up exactly what I wanted to say today, and so I couldn't pass up the opportunity. Psalm chapter number 92. Psalm 92, starting in verse number 12. Let me read our theme passage for this series. It says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. My hope and my prayer for all of us is that we would flourish in the courts of God, but knowing that it's necessary for us to be planted in the house of the Lord for that to happen. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to share your word. Thank you that you're going to speak to our hearts. I pray you give us ears to hear and you would speak through me. In Christ's name, amen. When we talk about someone getting the best of you, we're typically talking about someone who drains energy from you. We're typically talking about someone who gets on your nerves or frustrates you or causes you dilemmas in life. It's the person in your life that you kind of hide from when you see them out in public and you sneak around the different aisles so that you don't have to spend time with them. Uh, Most of us, I would say, at least have one person in our life that sometimes if we're honest, gets the best of us. Hopefully you don't live with them, but sometimes people in our lives get the best of us. Now, if you're here and you would say, I have no one in my life that ever gets the best of me. I have no one in my life that's draining. I have no one in my life that gets on my nerves. Then chances are you may be the person that gets the best of someone else. I just, that's just for the record. You might need to do a little self-examination there. But people can get the best of us, right? We can have a fantastic day going and we have a conversation. A single conversation can just leave us empty and frustrated. Someone can do something or say something about us or to us that just takes the life out of us. And when people get the best of us, we tend to react sometimes in unhealthy ways. But what I want us to talk about today is actually a question that I want us to ask is, Who is getting the best of you? Not from a standpoint of who drains the life out of you, but who are you giving your best to? Because if someone can take the best from you, that means that you have potential because you possess the best of you that you can give it to other people in your life. And I want to submit to you today that it's necessary for us. If we're going to be blessed of the Lord, if we're going to flourish in the courts of our God, that we need to give our very best to Jesus Christ, specifically through the local church. I've heard it said before that Jesus Christ only always gave his very best for you and for me. Not one moment while he was on this earth, before he gave his life for us, did he withhold his very best for us. He gave us his very best love. He taught us his very best truths. He performed his very very best miracles. He inspired us with his very best. He only always gave his very best. And in response to Jesus Christ, the only option that we should take is to give our very best back to him. Now, I want to share a a quick story with you from the Old Testament in Genesis chapter 4. If you have 
a Bible. It's a story that if you've been around the church, you've likely heard before. We're going to go back to the very first family in all of creation. God created Adam from the dust of the ground. He eventually took a rib out of Adam and created a wife for him. Her name was Eve, and they together had a few kids that we're going to talk about. The firstborn kids in all of creation wasn't it wasn't a perfect family. And there were some differences between these two kids that I want us to notice today and how we relate to God and learn from it so that we can give God our very best knowing that when we're planted, when we're established, when we're firm and faithful in his house through the local church and our relationship with God and others through the local church, that he will bless us incredibly abundantly and beyond anything that we could ever deserve. Genesis chapter number four, Adam lay with his wife Eve, starts off, it's a good story. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain, firstborn son. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. She's got two sons, Adam and Eve together, Cain and Abel, the first two children in all of creation. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So Cain, the older son, he was a farmer. Uh, He worked the fields. Uh, He planted things and saw them grow and harvested the produce while his younger brother Abel was out in the fields tending flock. He, He was with the livestock. He was a herdsman. Verse number three, in the course of time, this is important, say with me, in the course of time. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. In the course of time, Cain brought some, say some, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Now, one thing I want to say is that he was bringing an offering to the Lord. He was coming to worship the Lord. This is Cain, the older brother, from the produce from his field that he had grown, he brought some in the course of time, to present as an offering to the Lord. Okay? He's coming to worship the Lord, but in the course of time, he brings some as an offering. But Abel, verse number four, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn, say firstborn, of his flock. And the Lord looked at him, and and the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Two brothers, two different occupations. One's a farmer, one's a herdsman. The farmer, in the course of time, brings some of his produce to the Lord as an offering. The herdsman brings from his firstborn the very best of his flock To the Lord is an offering. The Lord saw both offerings, and to Cain, the older brother who brought some over the course of time, he did not look on favor with him. In fact, he rejected his offering. But to Abel, the younger brother, who brought the firstborn of his flock as an offering, the Lord accepted and showed favor to him. Cain Cain was angry, his face was downcast. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not be, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. This is important for us to know that when we don't offer God our very best, then we give room to sin 
which will crouch at our doors just looking for an opportunity to overtake us. Verse number eight, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, Cain was bringing an offering to the Lord. He was coming into the house of the Lord, if you will, and he was presenting the Lord with an offering. It wasn't his best, but let's give him some credit. He came to worship. Yet, just a few verses later, we see this man who was coming to bring the Lord an offering out attacking his brother out of anger, out of jealousy, and he kills his brother because the Lord didn't accept his offering, but he accepted his younger brother's offering. Two stark differences in approaches from this one man. This one man possessed the ability to want to worship God, yet in the next moment was willing to kill his brother because he didn't bring his very best to God. Sin was allowed to crouch at the door, and it overtook him. It mastered him and left him in a position that he never wanted to be. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? As if he didn't know, right? And just so you know, I have to remind myself of this sometimes. God knows everything. When we try to hide things from God, it doesn't work. My wife hides food from me. True story. But she can't hide it from God. And so I begin to pray, Lord, give me wisdom. <laughs> give me insight. I need a word of knowledge so that I can know where those Swiss cake rolls are. Y'all pray for her. She shouldn't do that. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Should I know where Abel is? Should I keep up with him, God? You should know where he is. I don't know where he is. And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. He finds himself in a position where he longs for God's blessing. He is nothing without God's blessing. With God withdrawing his blessing from his life, he feels empty. He feels hopeless. Your punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Isn't it interesting that a man with good intentions found himself so far from where he started out? And you know how it started? By him not giving his very best to the Lord. He didn't bring his very best to the Lord, and therefore the Lord didn't accept his offering. Now, in our worldly minds, we would say, well, that's kind of rude of God, right? I mean, when your kid's at school and he draws this creation and brings it home, you're supposed to just say, oh, it's so beautiful, knowing that it's not great. You accept it, right? But God didn't accept his offering because it wasn't his very best. He was presenting God with something that he owned, but it wasn't his very best. In fact, just over the course of time, when he got around to it, when it was convenient, when he finally finished the things that were most important to him, he found himself going to worship the Lord and taking an offering, but it wasn't even the best that he had to offer. It was almost as if he were taking leftovers when he got the chance 
to God and expecting God to bless him in the same way that he blessed his brother who took the firstborn, the most important of all of his livestock, the most cherished, he took and presented to the Lord. Why did God accept Abel's offering but not accept Cain's offering? Why did God refuse to bless someone who didn't bring their best but bless the one who did bring his best? There's some speculation, let's just be honest. Some would say that according to Old Testament law that it was necessary to bring a blood offering, a live sacrifice as an offering to the Lord. And since Abel brought something that would shed blood, that God accepted that, but he didn't accept the crops from the field of Cain because it wasn't bloodshed, that it was the wrong type of offering. But others, and I tend to agree with the line of thinking that says that Abel brought his best to the Lord. He trusted God with his very best. He withheld nothing from God. In fact, the firstborn he went and gave to God, not knowing what type of livestock he would have behind that firstborn. You know, it's almost as if when you have your firstborn, if you're a herdsman, if you tend flock, That's the most cherished because you see growth, you see addition, you see new life. And it would be easy to wait until there was other new life and get rid of that, give that to the Lord and save what was most cherished. But not knowing if there would be more, he took his firstborn and gave it to the Lord as an offering. It was a sign of trust in the Lord. It was a sign of... uh, surrender to the Lord that basically said, I'm going to give you my very best and trust that you're still going to bless what's to come, not knowing if there will ever be another addition to my herds. I'm going to give you my best, which is completely different from Cain. And I just wonder, I just wonder how often we who claim to be followers of Christ. Listen, if you're here today and you don't claim to be a follower of Christ, you don't call yourself a Christian, uh, please don't hear me imposing any of our religious talk on you. That's it's not a goal that I have. But if you do, if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to be a follower of Christ, I wonder how often we withhold our best from God. I wonder how often we find ourselves in a position to say, well, when I get around to it, in the course of time, if I have a chance, if there's nothing else going on in my life, then I'll take the opportunity to come present an offering to the Lord. I'll come and worship Him if I get a chance. But the offering that I'm going to bring may not be my very best. I may kind of bring my leftovers because I've grown to love my very best. My very best is very important to me. I've grown accustomed to the security that my very best brings me. And to allow that to leave me brings some insecurity. And it places some trust in someone that I may not have fully trusted in. I wonder how often we find ourselves in a position that we don't give God our very best. I just wanted to tell you today, I just want to encourage myself and encourage you as we examine a few things in just a moment, that it's important for us to gain perspective for our lives and how we present ourselves to the Lord. Planted in the house of the Lord, we will flourish in the courts of our God. 
And I would say that planted in the house of the Lord means fully going all in with God. Not kind of sort of being planted, but kind of holding on to some things that we don't really want to get rid of, but fully surrendering our lives wholly and completely to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trusting that he's going to help us become what he wants us to become, which means we have to let go of some things that we may want to become. See, there's things that we love in life and we don't really want to let go of. There's dreams and ambitions, there's statuses and there's friends and there's relationships and there's accomplishments that we seek in life, that we work hard for in life. And the thought that we may not get those things because we're giving of our very best, it's a difficult thing to do. I'm not here today to beat you up. I'm not here today to point a finger. I'm not here today to tell you that what you're doing isn't good enough for God. I'm simply asking you a question along with myself. Are we giving God our very best? And I want to talk about two areas of our lives that relate to church that we may or may not be giving God our very best in. Number one, our time. Cain, over the course of time, wasn't his first priority. Over the course of time, when he got a chance, versus Abel, who brought his first fruit, his firstborn. One made God a priority and one didn't. Are we giving God our very best time? I can remember a time in my life where church was more respected in the community. I can remember a time in my life where there were no events on a Wednesday night because on Wednesday night, people went to church. Now, I know that's kind of ancient and archaic that people would, I grew up going to church on Sunday morning. I would go back to church on Sunday night. I would go to church on Wednesday night. And people respected those times as holy, as sacred People would intentionally not schedule events on those times because they wanted people to have the opportunity to go and worship the Lord. Maybe you can remember those times. I can also remember times where events started taking place on Wednesday nights. And there were times in my life where I had to begin making choices. Am I going to be in the house of the Lord when it's convenient or when there's nothing else going on? Or am I going to begin to say no to some things that are really important to me because this is a priority? Now, I am not here today to impose any type of self-made choice on you. Okay, You're not going to find in this book, if the doors of the church are open and you're not there, then you're in sin. You're not going to find it. There's nothing in God's Word that's going to tell you that if you miss a certain number of Sundays per year... Like he's up there taking attendance, right? Oh, they didn't make it again. One more tardy, one more absence. You know, we're going to have to kind of take away some blessings. We're going to kind of impose some punishments on you. Life's going to become a little more difficult because you weren't in church. That's not what I'm here to do today. I'm simply here to share with you a time in my life where, as I shared with you in week number one, I decided to plant myself in the house of the Lord. And for me, it kind of came to a head during basketball season, my junior year. And our youth group 
met on Monday nights, and when basketball season started, guess what we had on Monday nights? Basketball practice. Varsity basketball. Met on Monday nights. Is that a sin? No. Who has church on Monday nights, right? My church was weird. We had church on Monday nights. And I can remember going to basketball practice, and I can remember going to church on Sundays, and people saying, yeah, I really missed you on Monday night. And I was like, yeah, I got basketball. And this isn't, listen, this isn't law. This isn't me telling you what to do. This is me as a teenager wrestling with God and feeling him tell me, I want to make sure you're giving me your very best. I can remember a time in my life where I began to pray, God, are you telling me that I should not go to basketball practice? I've been taught my whole life that if you commit to something, you should be there. That if you start something, you should finish it. We're talking about varsity basketball, God. I don't know if you know this, but, you know, college is expensive, and I'm kind of hoping that I can get a scholarship, and it's probably going to be necessary for me to go to practice if I'm going to go play, and it's going to be necessary for me to play if I'm going to prove myself to get a scholarship, and I don't know if that's going to work out too good. I remember wrestling with this for weeks. And I'm not telling you that this is anything that you should do if you're a student, but I remember deeply feeling convicted that God was just speaking to me personally. That I should give him my very best time. And that for me, Monday night was an opportunity to worship God. And I was feeling as if I was divided between choosing between worshiping God and going to basketball practice. Some of you, if you do what I did, it's not going to work out too good for you. Let me just tell you that. But by the grace of God, I just felt like God was telling me, choose church over basketball. And so I remember the conversation. I went to my coach's office here in PE, and I just said, Coach Cunningham, i got to talk to you. My church meets on Monday nights, and I'm feeling like God is telling me that I should go to church on Monday nights. Son, we got practice on Monday nights. I understand. And here's what I want you to know, Coach Cunningham. This isn't me starting a war. This is me just wrestling with something on my own. And I feel like I need to be at church on Monday nights. And so if you'll allow me to stay on the team, I would love to miss practices on Monday, whatever that means for the season. If that means I don't need to play, if that means I need to get cut playing time, Whatever that is, even if you've got to cut me off the team, I completely understand. But just, just for me, that's just where I was. And I felt like God was calling me to give my very best in this area. Now, for you, it may be something different. For you, you may be spending way too many hours at work, and God may be calling you to work less and spend more time with your family. For some of us, it may be a financial kind of, we need to give God our very best when it comes to uh, finances. For some, it may be some relationships. I don't know what it is for you, but for me, I specifically remember when I chose to get planted in the house of the Lord that I felt God calling me to skip basketball practice and go to church. How crazy is that? By the grace of God, he blessed me through that season. And I agreed that I would stay after school on Mondays and I would stay, come in early on Tuesdays and I would stay late on Tuesdays to make up some time practicing. And for a couple of weeks, I ran my tail off. 
I felt like, why did I choose this? This is the worst thing that I could have done. It's totally not worth it to go to church for an hour and a half to have to do this. And I questioned myself, why did I do this? But over the course of time, Coach Cunningham, I guess he just liked me. He said, Bronson, you've worked really hard. Go to church on Mondays and don't worry about anything else. He allowed me to play the same amount of time that I would normally play. And God blessed me, and I was able to get a scholarship to go to college for free. Now, I'm not telling you that if you skip a practice to go to church, that God's going to give you a scholarship. It's not the way it works. I'm not giving you a formula. I'm asking you, what area in your life do you feel like God is inviting you to give him your best in? What area of your life, when it comes to your time, when it comes to your commitments, when it comes to your priorities? Listen, we all have the same amount of time. How we spend it is up to us. Are we giving God our very best time in our personal lives? Are we spending any time with God in prayer, in devotion, in reading the Word of God so that He can speak to us? Are we committing ourselves to being his messengers in the worlds we live in? Are we inviting people to church? Are we telling people about the hope of Jesus when the conversations are had in front of us? Are we taking a stand and just letting people know that there's a better way, that there's hope for the hopeless, that there is a love that can be experienced that's life-changing, literally, for all of eternity? For you, for you, when it comes to your time, Are you giving God your best? Whatever he may ask you to do, are you giving God your best? And here's what I know. Like Cain, if we just, over the course of time, when we get a chance, when we get an opportunity, find a place in our schedule to go and worship the Lord when it's convenient, there's a chance that God isn't going to bless us. And we're not going to flourish in the way that he would love to bless us and cause our lives to flourish. But if we'll give of our firstborn, if we'll put God first, if we'll give him our very best, he promises that he would bless us. He promises that he would bless us. And so for me and for my family, and we've already had conversations Our kids are young. They're not involved in sports yet. I know that we're going to have bridges to cross. And I know there are going to be some difficult decisions to be made. And I know that I can't make all those decisions for my kids. And there's going to come a time where I'm going to have to trust my kids to make decisions for themselves. And no matter what they choose, I'm going to have to let them make those decisions for themselves. But we just feel persuaded that God needs to be a priority in our schedule, in our time. That we need to give God our very best And it's a commitment that we try to do. Are you giving God your very best when it comes to your time? Number two, this is the one that, if that was a little uncomfortable, it's going to get a little more uncomfortable. When it comes to your resources, are you giving God your very best? Your money, your finances, your possessions. Are you giving God your very best? The firstborn... Abel gave to God. You know what this is an illustration of? It's an illustration of the tithe. The tithe is an Old Testament word. It's a, it's a Hebrew word that literally means a tenth. And the tithe, 
I know a lot of people are confused. You might hear me on a Sunday say, we're going to pass a giving bucket. This is an opportunity to bring your tithes to the Lord. And uh, a tithe, just so you know what a tithe is, is the first 10% of your increase that you bring to the Lord. Malachi chapter 3 says that we should bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. In today's world, that would be the local church. Now, I've had dozens and hundreds of conversations with people. That's Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. I believe that it's a principle that applies to us today. In fact, Jesus Christ himself, when confronted with Pharisees, really religious people who were to the law, giving exactly a tenth to the Lord through the temple, were neglecting some other things. Jesus got all up in their business and he said, how dare you overlook these things? And they said, but we're giving you a tithe. We're giving you a tenth. And he said, you should have done that, but you should also have done some other things. Jesus never said, no, you don't have to give a tithe anymore. He said, you should do that, but you should also not neglect caring for widows, taking care of the sick, and other things that are listed. Tithing is a life-changing decision, but it's not a financial decision. People get this confused. People hear tithe, and you think that's a financial decision. I am choosing to give away some of my money to a church. I don't know what the church does with the money. Maybe the, maybe the pastor is trying to find a $60 million jet so he can cruise around the world. I, my jet's not going to be $60 million, just so you know. <laughs> not going to be a jet. I don't know what the church does with money. I'm not giving my money to the church. 10%? Do you know how much money I make? Do you know how much money that would be? But it's interesting that if you take a kid and you say, hey, here's $10, I'll give you $10 if you'll give me one back. They'll do it every time. Every time they'll do it. And that same kid, when they get older and they're making $100,000, and you say, we need you to give 10000 of that to the Lord. $10,000, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I don't know about all that. Things are kind of tight. I need that $10,000. And so we look at it as a financial decision, right? Because I've got to budget enough margin in my life that I can give away. And what we find ourselves doing like Cain is we say, I'll bring some of my crop to the Lord as an offering. And I'll present to him something that's not my very best, but... It's better than nothing. I would say, yeah, it's better than nothing. But is it your very best and it doesn't measure up to the standard that God has set for us? Tithing is a spiritual decision. Tithing is a decision to trust God in the area of your finances. Tithing is a decision to give your very best to God and trust that he's still going to provide to you for you with the remainder. Tithing isn't simply a financial decision. It's a spiritual decision. It's a decision by which we give, not because we have to, but because we get to. It's an opportunity to present to God something that's a form of worship for us. Now, I don't know if you've ever been taught what the tithe is, but it's simply an opportunity to return to the Lord what's already His. Did you know that in Psalms, it says the earth is the Lord and everything's in it. 
that everything belongs to God, that without God you have nothing. I know you worked hard. I know you saved. I know you've invested. I know that you've been wise. I know you studied and you went to school and, and you've done a lot to get what you have. And I know that it's easy for you to take credit for what you have. I know it's easy for me to feel like what I have is mine because I earned it and I deserved it. But the truth is, none of us would have anything if it weren't for the Lord. And he simply invites us to return our first fruits to him, to give him the best of what we have, and then he promises he'll bless the rest. And I'm convinced, not because I believe it, but because I've experienced it, that 90% of my income, blessed by God, will go tremendously further than 100% without his blessing. I was taught from a very young age to tithe. My parents trained me to tithe. From the time that I was working for my grandfather cutting yards in the summertime, and he would give me $100, I would give $10 to the church. My parents taught me that. And I'm so glad they taught me that because through my life, I can tell you time and time again, God has miraculously provided for my family because I trusted him with the first and with my best. You say, yeah, but if you'd have saved all that money, you would have a lot more than you have right now. But I wouldn't be as blessed as I am right now. And the blessings aren't all financial, just so you know. Don't hear me say, if you give 10% of your income to the church, then you're going to strike it rich. Right? You're going to walk down the sidewalk and you're going to find a lottery ticket and it's going to be like the, the mega millions. Yep, that's what God's going to do for you if you'll give 10 I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you that. There have been seasons in my life that I have given by faith the first 10% of my income, and I have wondered, Lord, how am I going to feed my family? And some people would say, how unwise is that? And by earthly standards, it's not. But it's an opportunity for me to give God my very best and just trust, just trust that he'll bless the rest of it. Cain, over the course of time, brought some to God. But Abel, from his firstborn, brought his very best to the Lord. One was blessed and one wasn't. One made a decision to be firmly planted, to prioritize their best for God rather than for themselves or for others. And we have an opportunity as people in the church if we call ourselves Christians, to choose who we're going to give our very best to. Here's the interesting thing. If we go to Hebrews chapter number 11, verse 4, the writer of Hebrews says this. Notice these first two words. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith... He still speaks even though he's dead. How did he give an offering that was pleasing to the Lord? By faith. Because he trusted God. Because he believed that giving God his very best was the wisest choice that he could make. And he chose to offer that to God as a form of worship. And I just wonder how often we neglect opportunities 
to give God our very best. Here's how I want to end our time together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and they're going to begin to play softly, and I'm going to ask us to respond to God this morning. I'm going to ask us to examine our lives. I'm going to ask us to seek God for just a moment and then respond to Him. I'm not going to ask you to make any kind of financial obligations to the church, right? I'm not sending around a pledge card. I'm not asking you to write a dollar amount. Not going to happen. I'm not that guy. Here's what I'm going to ask you, though. Are there areas in your life that while I was speaking, God specifically put on your heart that you may not be giving God your very best? It could be in the area of your finances. It could be in the area of your time. But it could be a plethora of other things that God may be putting on your heart right now. Maybe you're not giving God your very best through your family. Maybe you're not giving God your very, very best through your friendships. Maybe you're not giving God your very best at your job. Maybe you're not giving God your very best in your church. I don't know what that looks like for you. I know for me, I've done some wrestling this week and above everything else, I have a desire in my life to flourish in the courts of God. And I know that it only happens by being planted in the house of the Lord. And for me, if no one else goes with me and no one else chooses to follow, I want to make sure that I'm giving God my very best. Do I always do it? No. Do I fall short? Absolutely. Are there areas in my life right now in this moment that I'm responding to God to give Him my very best in? Yes. There's a yellow line across the front of this auditorium. It's the advantage of meeting in a gymnasium. I don't have to make lines. They're already there. There's a yellow line, and I want to give you an invitation to cross the line. There's some lines in life that you're not supposed to get close to, that you're supposed to stay away from. There are borders. But there's other lines in life that, that you want to cross. You're just not sure if you're ready. Just not sure if you can commit to that. You're just not sure if, if you can offer that at this moment. And I want to invite you by faith just to cross a line this morning to decide in your heart, I want to give God my very best and allow him to bless me like I've never been blessed before. If that's you, and maybe just, let's just do this. Would you bow your head? Let me pray for us. Father, right now in this moment, would you speak to our hearts? If there are areas that we have neglected to bring our very best, if we've brought subpar offerings to you over the course of time from some of what we have, if we haven't brought you our very best in whatever areas, would you speak to us right now in this moment, identify those things and call us to a deeper place in you. Call us to a greater level of commitment. Call us to prioritizing you, whatever that looks like. Now, I trust that for some of you, God spoke to your heart, if not all of us. You can look at me if you're here today and you would say, I'm going to cross the line today. I'm going to get more planted in the house of the Lord than I've ever been before. I'm going to prioritize God in my time, in my finances, in my relationships, whatever that looks like for you. You fill in the blank. But today for me, I'm ready just to cross that line. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet by faith 
and just come across this line and stand around the front. And I'm going to pray that God will give you his very best. If that's you, just get out of your seat and come join me across the line. Lord, thank you for thank you for loving us and thank you for sending your son Jesus to receive the punishment that we should give because we haven't given you our very best. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and thank you for drawing us into a deeper relationship with you and thank you for your blessings that are promised as a result of crossing some lines making some decisions, making some commitments, standing more steadfastly and more faithfully in some areas of our life. And for every man, every woman, every student this morning who has identified some aspect of their life that they may not be giving God their very best. And this morning, they've just decided, I'm ready just to give him my very best. I'm just crossing the line. I'm going to start giving him my very best. Whatever that is, I pray in this moment, you would solidify that decision, that commitment in their heart. I know that when they leave, the enemy is going to tell them that they can't afford to do that or they don't have time to do that or it's not necessary to do that or that's silly. But Father, right now in this moment, you're speaking to their hearts and I pray that that would solidify in their hearts and they would stand firm knowing that they've made a decision to cross that line. And my prayer is that you would richly, abundantly bless them, that they may flourish in the courts of God because they're becoming planted in the house of the Lord. Pray for every decision, every commitment, every priority, every time, every minute of every day that's being given to you now. Would you receive it as an acceptable offering? And would you in turn bless your people? We receive your blessings, Lord, and we give you our very best. In Jesus' name we pray.